Thou great Jehovah, pilgrim in a barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Guide me with thou powerful hand. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed us until we want no more. Lord God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Be it a seed that is planted in good soil and produces a great harvest. If there is anything in me that is not like you, Lord God, burn it out right now in the name of Jesus. Hide me behind your cross so that is all that the people see. In your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 Uh, For the time that is ours to share together, I want to talk a little bit about code switching. Or now you're talking my language. Uh, Being somebody who gets paid, so to speak, to be in front of people and talk for a living, I've been uh, paying particular attention to the nuances of language. Uh, One thing that I find pretty interesting is how you can have the same thing and two different people will call it something different. Uh, For example, if I were to take some milk and some ice cream and blend it together into a beverage for you to drink, Uh, I was reading this article and it would say that people in Boston would call that a frappe or a frap, Uh, but everywhere else we call it a milkshake. Uh, If there was a, a piece of furniture in the living room that was two to three seats connected together that one could sit on. Uh, Some people would call that a Davenport. Other people would call it a couch. Uh, If there was a device that you had that could fold over and you put it in your back pocket that you'd hold your money and your identification and and your credit cards in, some people call that a billfold. Some people call that a wallet. Uh, If there's, uh, during the summertime, some flying bugs out in the open field that light up, Uh, Some places you go, particularly they say if you're headed more towards the east coast, they call that a lightning bug. But if you go towards the west coast, they would call that a firefly. Uh, If you were to put some eggs in boiling water until they uh, got hard, uh, or some people would call that dropped in New England, but everywhere else they call it poached. Uh, The thing you use to change the channel Uh, for a television. Some people call that a clicker. (laughs) Other people call that a remote control. Uh, A long sandwich with meat and bread in it that's that's, that's, long. Uh, Some places you go, that's a hoagie. Other places, it's a grinder. Other places, it's a hero. Other places, it's a submarine. And other places, it's a po'boy. It just depends on where you're at and how you use the language, and, and one that, uh, 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 that I've seen and, and is particularly close to me, uh, being from the Midwest, uh, 
uh, I, I find it interesting, uh, but I, I've uh, had to struggle when I first started learning the language. But if you were to take this aluminum can of deliciousness that my doctor and my nutritionist have sternly warned me to stay away from, Depending on where you're from, it could be a soda or a pop. I saw all my Minnesota brothers and sisters say pop. I say pop. My mom makes sure to correct me when I say pop. I remember on my freshman year at uh, Prairie View A&M, I was walking around the campus and I asked somebody, where is the pop machine? And they looked at me like I had, was an alien. Said, yes, you know, like the Coke, the Pepsi. Oh, you mean a soda water machine. That's over in the baby dome. We have to pay attention to language. Language is important. Language is important. A, a, a politician can promise to bring back manufacturing jobs to a particular area, but you may not be able to do that because everything has gotten computerized. Uh, just because even if the jobs come back, you have to be able to learn the correct language to be able to work there. Remember when all it took to fix a car was a good wrench and some elbow grease? maybe open up a manual and do that. Now you cannot get in the car without some sort of computer knowledge and don't go get some gas and forget to put your gas cap back on. It's going to throw off all kinds of sensors. Uh, you, you, you have to be able to learn the language of the times. Everything is becoming so computer-based. I'm thinking about getting a particular toy uh, for my children this coming Christmas. It's called the Cano. And the Cano is a very do-it-yourself toy. It teaches the kids by playing with it how to be able to, number one, build a computer. And then they learn basic coding skills in order to create their own games and to be able to know one language versus another, uh, to be able to maybe able to write in HTML, which is a language that is primarily used for websites, or into C or C++ or C Sharp or JavaScript or, or all of these languages, the, be, the, the ability to be able to go back and forth between those things in the programming community is called code switching. We do some code switching in our day-to-day -day lives. Uh, the way we talk at the job is not the way we talk when we're at home. The way we speak amongst our friends is not the same way we speak amongst our children. Uh, we need to learn the language wherever we go, the language of the various departments we work in, uh, the language of our supervisors, the language of our customers, the language of other departments that we work with. As a matter of fact, I've read that the way someone moves from a, a regular entry level, a middle management job, all the way up to the executive level is their, their ability to be able to speak the different languages of the different departments. It's not just enough to be proficient at what you do. You need to be able to communicate with other people. Uh, some people would call code switching wearing another hat. Uh, when we are among a, a predominantly uh, the, uh, uh, a group that is similar to us, we'll have some words and some languages that mean something to us, but may not mean the same thing to those outside of that group. 
uh, when we're around our UMC brothers and sisters, we have some words that mean something to us but may not mean something to other people. Book of discipline, apportionments, conference, both charge conference and annual conference. They mean something to us in how we govern and operate amongst Methodists. But when we move the scope outside to our brothers and sisters who believe in Jesus, there are other words that may mean something to them that also that we can have common ground on. Scripture, sin, grace, salvation. Uh, people can also say the same thing and mean different things by it. Uh, we can say Lord, we can say God, and we can say good, and we can all be saying the same thing, but mean two completely different things by it. God does not mean the same thing here as it would mean in a Unitarian Universalist setting. God does not mean the same thing to all those people, so there's things about language, excuse me, language that needs to be taken care of. And so that's what I thought about when I was looking at this passage for the sermon today. Joshua is here focusing on language. Joshua is uh, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Uh, he gets a lot of time and he's got his own book and he's in other places. Joshua was one of the spies that was sent to see the promised land when Moses was in charge. He became the successor to Moses. Joshua was actually the one to go into the promised land even though Moses was trying to take the people of God there first. I was told one time a long time ago that I was a part of the Joshua generation and I took that with me to understand that because I'm a part of the Joshua generation that I stand on the backs and the shoulders of those who have come before me. I have not got here on my own. There were people that spent the time praying for me. There were people that there when I didn't have any money in my pocket made sure that I was taken care of. And so I'm proud to be a part of this Joshua generation because I understand that somebody has done these things before me. Joshua also had a bit of a temper. Uh, with the people of God and the enemies of the people of God. That's how I learned where smite was in the Bible, listening or reading Joshua smiting the enemies of his head. And, and so there are plenty of stories about that, but Joshua is here giving a message to the people. Uh, to, in today's Old Testament reading, which you heard earlier, Joshua is in the later ends of his life. And we're seeing a different kind of code switching. Not the linguistic type, but this is him being both Israel's military leader and spiritual leader. And now he's coming towards the end of his life and he's here writing about his state of affairs. Um, Joshua knows that his life will soon be over. And he's looking at these people who are in the promised land and he's concerned about much of what he sees. The people of God he led in the promised land seem to alternate between spiritual languages. They speak the tongue of Yahweh at worship, but they're also, according to the text, uh, when you read Joshua on your own, uh, they are also speaking some parlance based on the worship of other gods. Uh, to put it in contemporary terms, he sees God's people behaving one way at church and another way in the world. They come into church, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, and going out on the corner and cussing the next man out. Oh, my bad. Sorry. I tend to step on some toes from time to time, and this might be one of those toe-stepping messages. 
They have some chameleon-like behavior. And so while Joshua is on his way out, he's telling these people that they need to choose this day whom they are going to serve. You can't play both ends against the middle. I'm reminded of a story where they say that there are two people, uh, there there, there are different groups of people and one side of the fence is the people that are sitting here and serving the Lord and the other side of the fence are people who are serving the devil and there is this one person that sits on the fence and it's time for the gods of the people to go and God takes the people on the right side of the fence and and they go and then then Satan takes the other people on the other side of the fence and he tells the person on the fence it's time to go and he He's like, well, wait a minute. I haven't made a decision yet. And the Satan says, well, it's my fence. So we got to make a decision to choose this day who we will serve. So Joshua gathers all these people around and asks them once and for all about whom they are going to serve. The gods that their ancestors served or the gods that their ancestors served in Egypt or the indigenous people around them or the Lord God who brought them out of Egypt who made them mighty as they fought in the land. Joshua is not giving them an option. Joshua is not taking a rain check. Joshua is not telling them I'm going to get back to you later and you check if you check a maybe in the box he says to choose this day who you will serve no code switching about it. Uh, there's nothing about putting down this track of this possibility or backtracking later if they find that it's too hard he calls for them to make a lifetime decision right on the spot that's about as unilateral as it can go uh, we have the summary and Joshua is giving this farewell address and he's, Joshua is reviewing God's faithfulness and goodness towards the people of God. What the Lord has done, he tells them, during the days of Abraham and during the days of Moses and during the days of Joshua in verses 2 through 13, he reminds the people about the Lord God's relationship not only with their ancestors but with them as well. He is forthright in telling them, yes, your ancestors did serve some other gods, but nevertheless, God called them and delivered them from that oppression, as well as leading Joshua's very listeners into a successful conquest of the land they are now occupying. When we read about Moses, we watch these people take uh, 40 years to get somewhere that would have taken 11 days, but they are no longer looking for the promised land when they get to Joshua. They are in the promised land, and sometimes when we we get into something we might forget about how hard it was coming up sometimes when we forget when we get to where we're going we may forgot of what how it took to get there uh, we might have some education we might have a little bit of a position we might have a couple of letters behind our names but we might forget about some of those who came before us that may not have had anything but an eighth grade education couldn't rub a couple of pennies together but they made sure that we were fed and clothed and loved and so we got to look back on what was going before us and thank God for how far he has brought us Nonetheless, God called these people out and delivered them from oppression and led them into the promised land. And so they go from what God has done and God is continuing to do for them to what Israel is doing. Joshua then tells Israel that they must obey and serve the Lord just as he does. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. You can't lead where you don't go. You can't teach what you don't know. So that one's just for the preachers as well, that we can't get up here and tell you to worship the Lord God with all your heart and mind and soul and love your neighbor as yourself if we're not doing it ourselves. 
Uh, time and time again, I hear that people don't have a problem with Christianity. People don't have a problem with any of the things that are going in this concept of a Jesus that died for our sins, that we can have access to eternal life. They have a problem with the people that are in the church. How we treat one another. I say time and time again that some of you all, and myself included, are the only Bible some people will ever read. They will be making their decision whether or not to choose Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior based on how you as a Christian treat them. And sometimes you don't even know they're watching. Ah, and so he tells them that therefore based on Yahweh's gracious acts for Israel, Israel is supposed to respond accordingly. They're supposed to revere and serve. They're supposed to put away the other gods and serve the Lord. They're to turn from their sin and turn back to God's ways to serve. And it, uh, to serve and serving appear at least 12 in 12 verses in Joshua 24, meaning that it's talking about both obedience and worship. Uh, like the verse 14 in the new uh, says to fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Uh, in some translations like the NRSV, it says true faithfulness. But according to some scholars, the more applicable word for it would be integrity. Yeah. Along with the faithfulness. The integrity is what you do when no one is watching. Amen. Uh, integrity avoids Sorting forms of code switching. Uh, we, may, we may say in the church, I want to be specific in my prayers and what's going on with you when I go before the Lord with my petition. So why don't you go ahead and tell me? And then we get out of the church and we code switch into gossip. Girl, did you know what was going on with so-and-so? Ah, we may be in the church when somebody's having these problems and we'll sit there and I'm going to pray about it, brother. I'm going to pray about it, sister. And then we code switch and don't do anything about it. So when it talks about serving the Lord with faithfulness and integrity, that means even if nobody is watching, even if you're not in front of anybody, even if nobody says amen, even if nobody says hallelujah, whether you are in the valley or you are in the hills, the, when you, you got to serve God no matter what is going on. Uh, Joshua sets up a covenant renewal ceremony that seems very similar to political treaties that are done at that time. It's similar to one in the, that's used all the way up to the uh, 12th century BCE that's similar to the Hittite treaty. And there's a theologian way smarter than me, George Mendenhall, that is credited with linking these treaties and these, these Old Testament covenants. And he summarizes that the covenants followed a regular pattern. You have your preamble in which the author of the covenant is identified. That's Joshua. A historical prologue, Joshua telling him all the things that God has done for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and now Joshua. And then the I and thou describing the past benevolent acts performed by the great king for the benefit of the people. The, the, the measurement of a king is often how good its people have been treated. And then it's got the stipulations when he's telling them, don't just say it to be saying it. Don't just say that you want to do this just to be there are penalties associated with this if you do it. And then there is a periodic public reading and blessings and curses in this covenant. And all of that happens in Joshua 24, showing that his relationship with the people of Israel and, and everything that is going on. And it covers what the Israelites need to do. And they have to put away their other gods. There is no option between serving. Uh, when you worship something, you literally are saying how much something is worth to you. 
Uh, they say that you can look in your bank statements and tell who your God is. Do, do, do we worship at the God of shopping? Do we worship at the altar of food? Uh, do we worship at the altar of all these things, the things that we are putting in uh, more importantness? And there is no option between serving. You either going to serve God or you going to serve nobody at all. Just as the book of Revelation says, everyone worships, either God and the Lamb, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but some do the polar opposite. And here too in Joshua, he's insisting in verse 15 that you must make a choice. Choose this day in whom you will serve. You're going to have to make a choice, and the making that choice is listed all over the Bible. It's a parallel between not only Joshua 24, but Deuteronomy 30. And there's a time where Moses tells the people they need to pick between life and death and to follow God's renewed covenant or not follow it with some consequences. And so Joshua doesn't just ask the people to worship, uh, just to worship them. When he says, for me and my household, he's out there showing them that I'm doing it. Uh, I, not to pat my own self on the back, but I can't ask y'all to come up here and hang sheetrock if I'm not hanging sheetrock myself. Yeah. I can't ask y'all to love y'all neighbor if I'm not loving the neighbor myself. Uh, we got to leave out front. And this is frequent in all of these things. And, and not only is it that, but it's customary in these cultures, both Old Testament and New Testament, that when the head of the house does something, it affects the rest of the house. Uh, so what we do as leaders, not only in our own households, but in the community, they affect those who are behind us. We need to consider the cost. Not just play church, but actually be about church. Uh, the time has gone for us to come on an hour or two hours on a Sunday morning, say hallelujah, thank you Jesus, and go on about our ways. What are we doing with that time? What are we doing to actually, I'd rather see a sermon than hear a sermon any day. Uh, people will say they obey, but under other trees, they had these other people going in these treaties. And that, that was the thing that Joshua wanted to make sure they understood, which was why he kept saying to throw away other gods. Yeah. Because these treaties, when they are done in the secular world, all the other gods, whoever, if, if this person was a believer of one thing and the person on the other end of the treaty was a believer of the other, they brought both their gods to this treaty. And so he was saying, yes, we're taking up this kind of covenant here, but we are not adding any other gods to the, to the table. Uh, he's saying that they need to bury their other gods just like he did at Shechem. And they can't just talk about it. They got to be about it. Yeah. Uh, I'm reminded of James 2 where it says in 16, and if one of you says to them, depart in peace. Be warmed and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, doesn't, if it does not have works, is dead. I can't just pull up to the man on the street, roll my window down and say, be fed and warmed in the name of Jesus. And when the light turns green, roll my window back up and burn on off. I can't just say that I love somebody and act like they don't do anything. I can't say that I love my neighbor as myself if I come to church and I won't even speak to some people. I can't say, how can you love God who you have never seen but not love your neighbor who you see every day? 
We can't just talk about it. We have to be about it. We can't just switch and say the right thing for the right situation. We actually have to have some actions with what we do and consider the cost. Ah, and so we have to do, not only say, but we have to do what we said. And so after he assures them and the people assure Joshua that they are doing this, they set up a large stone at the tabernacle to remind the Israelites of their promise. So they have an understanding of what's going on and they're reminded of how they're supposed to be treating each other. They're reminded of how they're supposed to be acting to one another. If only we had something to remind us how we were supposed to treat people on a regular basis. If only we had something to remind us how we are supposed to operate as Christians. I just wish we had some sort of example there. The Bible says the study that showed ourselves approved. A workman needed not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I have to spend, I get more angry and more embarrassed at the same time when I come across atheists who can quote the Bible better than most Christians. We ought to spend some time. How can we say that we love God and we don't spend any kind of time in the book? We don't spend any kind of time knowing what's going on. But Joshua sets up a symbol to remind them of what's been done. And we have a symbol that reminds us of what's been done. It's sitting right behind me. An old rugged cross reminds us of a God that does not let go and does not need to code switch anything. There's a gospel that is adequate for our lives and that we can say without Go hold switching between the reality of today and tomorrow because Christ is in both places. We don't cold switch when we say that he is the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We don't cold switch when we say that he's the one who was and is and is to come. We don't cold switch when we say that he's not a man, that he should lie, nor the son of man, that he should seek cause to repent. We don't cold switch on those things. We don't cold switch when we come to these things and talk about that Friday morning on a place called Golgotha, a.k.a the place of the skull, a.k.a. Calvary. There's no code switching there. When we say here lies Jesus, the king of the Jews, he was not wavering back and forth when he carried that old rugged cross all the way to Calvary and took your sins and your sins and all of our sins with him. There is no code switching when we got victory over death and it's swallowed up in victory and we say, oh grave, where's your victory? Death, where's your swing? We don't code switch with those things. We are committed because Jesus was committed to us. He was committed when he took that cat of nine tails. He was committed when they beat him and said prophesy. Tell us which one of us hit you Jesus. He was committed. He never said a mumbling word. He could have called 10,000 angels down but he did it because if he had come down off that cross my soul would have been lost. He was committed just like we need to be committed to him and he was committed when he stayed in that grave and he was committed on that third day early one Sunday morning when he got up with all power in his hand. He's committed because he sits at the right hand of the Father and he'll come again. I'm so glad that's not where the story ends because he's coming back. Will you be ready? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come.